0: Podcasting from Doksu Village on Jeju Island, this is The Korea File, a weekly podcast about music, culture, and society from around the peninsula. I'm Andre Goulet. On this episode, Matt Van Volkenberg is an independent researcher on Korean urban space, film, and current events. His prolific blog, Gusts of Popular Feeling, celebrates its 10th anniversary this month. In the second of a three-part conversation, Matt talks about Korean concepts of purity, identity, and character, the history of anti-Americanism in modern Korea, and the notion of Korea as an unfinished country.
1: Let's
0: talk about Americans for a moment. When did anti-Americanism go mainstream? Uh, today it doesn't seem that strange that a Korean could have the opinion a negative opinion about Americans. There's a lot of military still in the country, 20-some thousand, um, and people see it, they're affected by it occasionally. Uh, There was a point where uh, there was a sort of watershed moment and anti-Americanism went mainstream. When was that point? Well, that would have been during the uh, 1988 Olympics. So why was it the the Olympics allowed that
1: uh, to reach a breaking point? Uh, The thing is, I mean, I think it had been there since the Americans first arrived. You know, they ruled with a pretty heavy hand in the 40s. The discrepancies in wealth between Americans and uh, Koreans, especially after the war, were were pretty staggering. Um, There were lots of Koreans who were sort of grateful to work on their bases and make money, but you know, often I don't think they were treated that well, right? I mean, they were looked down upon by the Americans. Um, and then there was just the huge fact of a, a massive amount of prostitution that was going on, which you know would uh, make a lot of people not so well disposed. So, to their how did presence? the Olympics um, allow people
0: to actually voice some problems that they might have had with that occupation?
1: Basically, through the eighties, ever since the Guangzhou uprising was blamed on America, um, and that's a, it's a very complicated. Um, it could go on for hours about. Everything involved in that. Um, it's like they, they could have done more, but, you know, well, A, I don't, they weren't going to, and B, I don't think they really could have done much. You know, they weren't going to send their troops into Guangzhou, anything like that. Um, but uh, I think, especially the, the next, uh, the Reagan administration certainly kind of turned a very blind eye initially. Uh, and that once people sort of realized um, uh, that America wasn't on their side. that was sort of the the thing amongst university students. like they, they're the enemy and and a lot of that was very congruent with North Korean propaganda as well, uh, which complicates things a great deal and um, so throughout the 1980s, this kind of builds, and you know by the late 80s, like, the students are all very...
0: This is hand-in-hand hand with the actual sort of um, social uprising
1: uh, leading to the end of the military regime, eventually down the road. Yeah. Um, a lot of those kind of leaders were these anti-American students. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even a, a friend of mine, uh, Robert Neff, uh, he was in the... Uh, military out in Wanju in the 80s and talked about, because you know, who's in the military? Well, a lot of them would be students who have some pretty bad feelings. And, and he said, you know, basically there was the American base here and the Korean base here, and they're walking, they left base, and they, they could hear, he said, I could hear the chung, chung, chung of the, the anti-aircraft guns. The Koreans were basically pointing them at them, you know, just going kind to of say, you know, up yours. And and so he's like, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> um, but So you had this kind of going on, and then SOFA hadn't really... The SOFA agreement, the Status of Forces Agreement, which um, covers a lot of things, but also cons- covers the jurisdiction of Korean authorities over Americans who've committed crimes, American soldiers who've committed crimes, and their families, military families. And... Um, that came into effect, that was signed in 66, came into effect in 67. Uh, a number of Americans had been arrested for murder um, and thrown in Korean prisons. Uh, you know, a lot of people later on were trying to, you know, oh, Americans can get away with anything. Like, no. But under an agreement, basically only really serious crimes like uh, murder, rape, uh, you know, great theft, stuff like that, were prosecuted. Other crimes were just kind of immediately turned over to the Americans. And there were some issues with SOFA, and the government was thinking about it. And the Hankyore was kind of pushing these in early 88. The Hankyore is the left-wing newspaper. Which had just started in 1988. Um, Though ironically, I find during this period that Donga Ilba was actually probably much more nationalist, even to to a leftist kind of bent, which is very interesting. Um, More right-wing paper today. Mm. but uh, it had no traction until right before the Olympics uh, two American high school kids who I guess lived on Yongsan Base uh, beat up a, a woman who was like four months pregnant and um, two American kids? yep yeah. and uh, they were like 18, 19 or something, 17, 18 and so um, you know she ends up going to the police and it's kind of Told by the police, well, we're just going to hand them over to the Americans. Like, if you want to fill out stuff, so they'll be prosecuted there. Just, just do that, and and so the dong elbow picked this up, and you know they had this great. I mean, it's it's really well written. It's it just meant to. They set the the scene with like you know. Uh, mr or whatever his name was came home and you know or you know, came home and found out his wife was in the hospital and so it, it book ends it with him very lo- sadly looking at her in the hospital she's been injured there's nothing they can do about it and there's a great quote saying like I don't know what sofa is but they you know they heard a Korean in Korea and why can't we punish them and then like two days later the Dong elbows like oh surprisingly we've had a huge out, out, outpouring of calls and letters about this article and and there's a great quote. Um, I actually like wrote a paper um, when I was uh, applying to grad school. I needed a uh, writing sample, so I decided to write about this. And uh, the Dong Ilbo said uh, a great number of people were writing um, to try to figure out how to recover their national pride. And so I kind of called it to recover national pride. And it's funny how much you find that as a, a meme at that time because the other big thing was the trade uh, issues. America was trying to get beef and cigarettes and, so, and also um, was started directly distributing American films, Hollywood films because before that it went through a Korean middleman and now they were just letting the American companies come in and so there were huge protests, they, they put snakes in the theaters eventually poisonous ones during a Fatal Attraction, which was during the Olympics because um, that was the first movie um, fatal Attraction was the first movie imported to Korea. Like the first directly right. imported. I mean, right. There have been tons of American movies yeah, before yeah. that. But. Um, so, and in each of these cases, with the beef, with the cigarettes, they're talking about like, oh, this UPI, this film company, bringing in the movies directly is a fatal blow to our national pride. And those who smoke foreign cigarettes are betrayers of you know our national pride. And that just comes up again and again and again. And basically the media which had just been freed from the constraints of the dictatorship and one of those no-touch areas in some ways was the U.S. and the U.S. presence here um, that kind of went at sometimes you know under chun wan like especially in the mid-80s there were all these kind of a very anti-American movies that came out um, not directing directed towards soldiers but more towards just like people in Taiwan or just generic white foreigners who would be equated with Americans and, and then in the 70s um, Park Chung-hee also led this crusade to um, basically purify Korean culture of foreign influences which were very clearly American influences
0: how, so how do you think anti-Americanism has evolved over time? There's still this sofa in effect but you know we now have uh, Hollywood films, uh, American mm. cigarettes and American beef um, <clears throat> so how have Koreans uh, developed along with some of these more economic changes
1: I mean I remember reading a, a one writer calling anti-Americanism a process and it's there's all these issues that the left will sometimes if they can they'll cast their, their line out if they're trying to get some traction and um they'll see what sticks and so anti-Americanism is one of those things they'll go for and it's usually sort of put out as like sadejui like the the bowing to the greater power and korea looks weak that way and and again it goes back to this national pride thing and um, so that that's one of these sort of aspects the other is you know korea has been victimized throughout its history and uh, the America or foreigners are just out to, to hurt us. And, you know, the, the beef protests, you know, like the Americans are going to send us poisoned beef and we're all going to die And because that's what foreigners do because they hate Korea or, or something, you know. It's just And, you know, like Brian Myers um, has, uh, in his writings about uh, North Korean literature and North Korean propaganda, has kind of identified that as a, a an enduring aspect of North Korean propaganda. Is it kind of based on, in many ways, very strongly based on Japanese World War II propaganda, but then South Korean nationalism is to some degrees as well. But uh, North Korean propaganda is sort of more so. But said so whereas the Japanese kind of said, we are a, a pure race, and because we are pure, our purity protects us. And they used the example of uh, when the Mongolians and the Koreans tried to attack Japan in the uh, 1200s, uh, and sent ships like the, the divine wind, the kamikaze, uh, saved them. Of course, the Japanese reused that word later. But, um, you know, basically our purity uh, protects us. Whereas you said the Korean version of it is our purity, you know, is a great thing, but it, it makes us weak in this very horrible social Darwinian world. <laughs> And, I mean, like Vladimir Tikhanov, Park has written a great deal about uh, the influence of social Darwinism and sort of turn of the century incipient Korean nationalism Mm -hmm. and how, I mean, that's still Korea has a very social Darwinist, at least on the world stage. So
0: what's it going to take for Korea to flex its muscle to get to a point where it no longer has to see itself as Mm -hmm. sort of child in the relationship?
1: Well, the question is, do they want to? Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, I mean, no one really wants to talk about this, but, I mean, Dokdo. Um, there's a great paper put out by the Royal Asiatic Society several years ago that kind of said, it just laid it kind of very clearly out, and it was, well, Japan, when they took possession of Dokdo in 1905, said it was terra nullius, belongs to no one. Well, all you need to counter that is Japanese maps themselves, which show that they considered it part of Korean territory. That That's all that's really needed you know and argument's over i don't think korea wants that argument to be over it's something that can motivate people and much like i say the the left will sometimes use anti-americanism if they can get a bite on that to to get people behind whatever is being you know the the protest is about at the time or whatever their agenda is at the time um Docto is something I, I mean, as uh, the blogger RoboSEO once put it, if uh, Docto is on page one, something really important is on page four.
0: <laughs> Having said that, though, many Koreans must want Docto to be over. Many Koreans must want the divided Koreas to be over. They mm-hmm. must want many social ills to be over as well. So, who are the interests that don't want things to be over? Why, why are there, why are there these ongoing disputes? Why is this so much an unfinished country?
1: <clears throat> Unfinished country. That's a good way to put it, you yeah. uh, know. I mean, some of it, so much of it is just out of their hands as well, which, I mean, it's fair enough to feel kind of victimized in that way and powerless in which the the decisions to reunify really aren't their own. Um, certainly China and the U.S. have a huge say in that, China most of all. But, but language like victim or powerless, I mean
0: people can choose to try to perceive themselves differently
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, I'm just wondering if it's a natural state or if it's something driven by un, like, unflexible notions of identity
1: well I think I wouldn't call them unflexible but I, I just think it, it's a common media trope to portray Korea that way it's a textbook thing as well um, so just generations of Koreans are brought up they're taught this and i think you know things are slowly changing but that's a lot of deprogramming to do because i think there's great comfort in being a victim in which you're not responsible you have you know you don't have to take responsibility for things and that's both a negative thing and but it can be a positive thing as well you know because if it's not it's not my fault you know, it's
0: to tie that, though, to the history of social movements that we were talking about, <clears throat> I perceive Koreans as a particularly social movement-oriented people. You don't see this in every culture. And for this to happen time and time again through the post-war history, does this not suggest that Koreans are a people who really want to fight for identity and for you know, a country and stuff? So I'm wondering
1: what keeps that uh, held back well, probably the people with the power and the money um, like the status quo. <laughs> and I mean even just simple, simple things like when they uh, put in the five-day work week back in the mid-2000s. Uh, you had companies just bitching and moaning about how, this, oh, we're going to be so unproductive. And, and they even got rid of Arbor Day and uh, Constitution Day. They used to be holidays, but to kind of make up for that... Um, yeah, it's just those vested interests that, that don't want things to change, even though it should, you know, isn't it kind of obvious? Like if people are have more time off, if they're not working, you know, 12 hours a day, if they can actually have a life... And especially when you're working 12 hours a day, it's not like you're being that productive anyways. You're probably spending a lot of time on Facebook or whatever, Just, to, you know, especially the whole culture of waiting for the boss to leave before you can go home. That's true. It's just, it's just very unproductive.
0: So there's like really deeply ingrained cultural things that do kind of keep mm-hmm. Korean society in a sort of static point. Um, but I just wonder if there's like, I don't know, I perceive Koreans in their hearts to be such passionate, dynamic yeah. people also in terms of the desires they have mm-hmm. for a better... Korea,
1: mm-hmm. but I also I just I think these days, especially, um, it's a lot more apathy—not so, so much apathy, but uh, well, pessimism, but which kind of engenders that kind of apathy um, in seeing that you know, no matter the promises that are made, the government is there's still all this corruption, and that's sort of one of the unspoken things that lingers around the Sewol. Incident is that knowledge of the corruption that the rich can do whatever they want, and the the, the way in which the the chaebol are sort of the royalty, mm-hmm. which people both despise and aspire to be. So it's it's complicated, which makes Korea a very fun place to, to try to uh, you know an, an onion to try to unpeel because. Uh, there's always so much going on, it's always changing very quickly. in my dream, I thought I was with her. And that's all my darling could say.
0: That's the Korea file for this week. You can find new episodes up every Wednesday on iTunes and Stitcher and as a feature contributor at blogtalkradio.org. You can find Matt's online work at populargust.blogspot.kr. Next week, a final conversation with Van Volkenberg on weed, counterculture, and rock and roll in the early 70s and how they relate to the Park Chung-hee era of dictatorship and oppression. From Duxu Village on Jeju Island, I'm Andre Goulet.
1: Ship to at shore, to change her plan and forget him others on to Korea and tomorrow I'll face the front line then the next line was wrote by his buddy from a foxhole to a mansion